0: Well, Good morning. It is great to see you. Thank you for being here uh, at the 1045 service. My name is Daniel and I am one of the pastors here and uh, I'm glad to be here honored uh, to preach the word of God this morning. If you didn't know, uh, I was on sabbatical for the past four months. This is my first sermon coming back from sabbatical. So uh, a little rust has to be knocked off the preaching muscles. So uh, here we go. I'm excited to be here. I am extremely grateful. To be one of your pastors. Uh, we sent out a video this past week. If you get our weekly emails with me sharing a little bit about uh, our sabbatical, and if you are a member of our church, hopefully you received a letter as well uh, going into some detail about sabbatical. Uh, sabbatical really was a gift to me and to our family, and I realized that sabbatical might be something new. Uh, to many of you, you may not even know what, what is a sabbatical. I think it's helpful to think about sabbatical like an extended Sabbath. I think Sabbath is More commonly known, uh, Sabbath is one day out of seven that God calls us, commands us to cease from our work, to truly rest in God's sovereignty over all of creation, and to rest in His love and seek to be renewed by Him as we worship Him. And so, sabbatical is and was a this extended season set aside for me and for my family to rest, to cease from our working and seeking to be renewed by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in deep ways as we worshiped him. Uh, and it, that really happened. And so thank you for your prayers if you prayed for us while we were gone. Uh, it was also a season sabbatical for uh, for myself and for you, Christ Central Church, to be reminded that Jesus is the Lord of his church. Uh, he is the one who's promised to build his church and that Christ Central exists and lives apart from me or from Pastor Timothy or Pastor Evan or any other pastors or staff that will ever lead and serve in this church. Uh, He is the one who is building his church and all who are called into vocational ministry merely point to King Jesus. And he is the one who loves his people and loves his church more than any human being ever could. And so we had an incredible time of rest and renewal and Uh, Rest and renewal is not just a time to take naps and pray. Uh, You know, like, well, for four months, did you just take naps and pray and worship? Uh, No, we did a lot of fun things as well. We had fun as a family. Uh, We traveled a good bit domestically. We spent time at the beach and the mountains at a lake. We went to see our families in Alabama and in South Carolina, uh, and it was just a tremendous gift. But when August came, Rachel and I both looked at each other, and, and we said, I'm just ready to get home. Are you ready? To get, or let's just let's get home. I can't wait to sleep in our own bed and to be in our own house. And I think you would all agree if you traveled at all, there, there's nothing quite like coming home. And when we finally pulled on the dogwood road and pulled into our driveway, I think all five of us—Rachel and I and three boys—all kind of let out this big exhale and we're like, "We are—we're home." Well this morning we're going to read and look at John chapter 15 verses 1 through 11. And next week Timothy's going to read and preach from John 15 12 through 17 and in these 17 verses Jesus says abide 11 times, 11 times. We just sang the song abide with me or abide in me. Abide 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 is going to be seen throughout our text this week and next week. In New Testament scholar Del Bruner, he translates abide as make your home with me. Make your home with me. Home is the imagery that Jesus uses in our passage to describe life with God. And so if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to look at John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. This is God's word to us this morning. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Amen? Can you all hear me on my own? Okay, just making sure. Let's pray. Lord God, life is up and down. The winds blow and... Many things pass away, but your word remains and endures forever. And it is through your word that you invite us this morning to know you, to experience life with you, to find our home with you. And so I pray that you would speak. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our ears? Would our hearts be softened so that we might respond? And, And would we leave here abiding in you and you with us? our home being in you, Jesus. I pray that you would make the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts pleasing to you and that my words would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. Well, our passage this morning in John 15 is one of the well-known I am statements that Jesus makes in the gospel of John. Jesus in verse one says, I am the true vine. Not just I'm the vine, but I am the true vine vine. And to understand the weight of this I am statement, we need to know the Old Testament and ancient Near Eastern Jewish life a little better than I think most of us do. And so let me try to give a little bit of understanding of the context by which Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. See, in the Old Testament, the vine, it is the common symbol uh, referring to Israel as the covenant people of God. Uh, Scripture talks about Israel as the vine in places like Psalm 80 and Jeremiah chapter 2 and Ezekiel 15. And the majority of times in which Israel is referred to as the vine, Scripture also speaks of Israel's failure to produce good fruit. And so this imagery, it gives us insight into the type of relationship that God intended for Israel, that they were to be the vine who produced good fruit. They were to be the people of God by which the life of God would come to the world. But if you read the Old Testament... You see that Israel failed over and over and over. They didn't always produce the life of God for the sake of the world. They would disobey God, they would trust other gods, and it resulted in curses being brought to the world rather than the blessing and the life of God. So this imagery of being the vine, it was so prominent that when Jesus was speaking these words in the first century, inside the Jewish temple at the very center was a curtain And over the curtain was an extremely large vine made of gold. And it was a reminder to Israel that they were the vine of the planting of God. This large gold vine on the curtain hung in the heart of the temple, reminding the people of God they were to bring the life of God to bear on earth. And Jesus speaks into this context. And he says, I am the true vine. I am central I am the one who brings the life of God to the world, or as one commentator translated it, I am the real heart of the matter. The main thrust of my sermon this morning is that whatever you hold as the center of your life is the very thing that provides the interior dwelling of your heart and your soul. Whatever is central to your life, whatever is the real heart of the matter for you, this is where your heart and soul looks for love peace, joy, meaning, and the list could go on. And Jesus is saying the heart of the matter, the central thing to all of life is that you abide with me, that you make your home with me. The place your heart and soul finds its true home is in deep relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to look at this invitation to abide in Jesus through this image of home. And we're going to do this by asking two questions what makes a home so special? And secondly, how do we make a place home? So let's look first, what makes a home so special? Jesus says in verse 9, abide in my love. Make your home in my love. The first thing that I will say that makes a home special is that it is a place of security because it's a place of, of love. It's a place of security because it's a place of love. When I was getting married to Rachel, one of my greatest fears about marriage is how my sin would impact and affect her. I just knew there's no hiding. Once we're married, there's no hiding and pretending anymore. It's going to come out. But what was a great fear is now one of the greatest things about marriage. Because in marriage, you're called to love despite the the person sinning against you. And so I'm safe to be myself with Rachel because I know she's going to love me no matter what. So spouses, parents, siblings, not perfectly, and I know not always, are not, they're not always the safest people to be your safe, safe yourself with, but I think more often than not, we know that at home, we can be ourselves. Despite our bad moods, despite our hurtful actions, despite our sinfulness, we will be loved. Uh, at our rehearsal dinner, one of the best toasts that was given, our rehearsal number is coming up on nine years ago now, it came from Rachel's grand, uh, grandfather, Grandpa Gary. It was a very simple toast. Uh, he got up and he, he said a few things about us and he said a, a few things about Rachel. And then it was like everybody at the rehearsal dinner went away and he honed in on his granddaughter, Rachel. And he just said, Rachel, I love you. And then he said, Honey, your grandma and I will always love you. And then he just sat down. And I swear to goodness, there wasn't a soul at that rehearsal dinner that didn't want to go crawl up in Grandpa Gary's lap. We all just went, Please say that to me, Grandpa Gary. <laughs> all right. I love you. Every single one of us has a longing to be loved. And when we experience love, we're secured. We're free to be ourselves. And the unconditional love of Jesus, it gives us security. The safest place to be ourselves, the safest place to be honest about our struggles and our sins and our frustrations is with Jesus. Because by faith in Christ, we are united to him like a branch unto a vine. And when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see our sinfulness and our mistakes and our struggles and our doubts and our questions. He sees Jesus. And he says, no matter what, no matter the ups and downs, no matter what happens, I will always love you. The second thing I'll say about what makes a home so special is that a home is a place of security. At home, you can lock your doors. You feel protected. You feel safe, protected from the elements on the outside, protected from outsiders, dangers and harms. I didn't read verse 16 of John 15, but in verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. We can be at home with Jesus because he took the initiative. He chose to love. He chose to redeem. He chose to bring salvation into our lives, which means your level of security spiritually does not depend on your emotional level, your spiritual activity, how certain you feel about your faith. God is the one who locks us into his family and has promised to never let us go. Nothing can separate us from his love. We are secure with him. One way I could summarize what I'm saying here is that home is home because it's a place of belonging. In Jesus, we find our belonging. We are deeply loved, and we're, we're deeply loved, especially in our greatest struggles. And we're locked into the family of God. So no circumstances can change this reality. No amount of internal unrest or questioning can change this reality. No amount of outside attacks will change this reality. Nothing can take away the assurance of belonging to Jesus and having our home with him. Jesus is the true vine, and he extends the invitation to abide, to be at home with him. So a Christian, and I realize not all of you may be a Christian. You're asking questions around Christianity, but a Christian is someone who is a passive recipient of all that Jesus has done on our behalf. Right? We belong to Jesus because of everything he's done for us. His life, his death, his resurrection, his promised return, and a Christian is someone who actively practices making our home with Jesus. The Christian life is both passive and active. And so my, my second question this morning, how do you make a place a home, is kind of getting at this call to be active. And so how do you make a place a home? The first thing I'll say is that a place becomes a home when you relax, when you relax, Rachel and I have lived in three different homes in Durham since we've, we've been here. And each time we've moved, it takes months for me to feel like the place is home. All right? First couple of weeks, boxes are everywhere. Pictures still aren't hung on the walls. We're trying to figure out where to place our furniture. And for the way I'm wired, I, I can't relax until a lot of it's put in its place. And so I think a place becomes a home when you can finally exhale and just relax. And I believe one of the main reasons Christianity becomes a burden for so many people and that we're unable to relax and enjoy all that God's done on our behalf is because we continue to think we're the center and that our striving is what really matters. But throughout the Gospel of John, when John uses this word believe, he follows it with a preposition. He follows it with the preposition into. Believe into Jesus. Not just believe in, but believe into. And that was a very unique way of talking about faith in a person. It was never said about another person in the ancient world. Romans believed in Julius Caesar. They didn't believe into Julius Caesar. But John says, Christians, you believe into Jesus. Now, today, we might say something like, I, Daniel, am really into Auburn football. Some of you, a little more close at home, might say, I'm really into UNC basketball. I'm really into Duke basketball. And, And that means more than just you like UNC or you like Duke basketball. To be into it means you love it. You dive headfirst into it. You're all about it. You don't have to be convinced to go read the latest update on your team or, or to go sit outside for hours to get in and watch the game. You're all about it. You're into it. And belief into Jesus is more than just belief about Jesus. It's diving into and enjoying all that Christ offers us. And by cherishing all that Jesus has done for us, we can relax and make our home with him and enjoy belonging to him. The second thing I'll say about how a place becomes a home, this is not as fun, is it happens when there's some remodeling. A place becomes home when there's some remodeling. John 15, verse 2, says, Jesus says, Every branch of me that does not bear fruit he'll take away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And then in verse 6, Jesus says, Anyone that does not abide in me, he's thrown away and withers and thrown into the fire and burned. Jesus is saying here that there are people who think they are connected to the vine, people who think they belong to Jesus, but they're dead. There is no fruit. There is no life of God bursting forth. There is no fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That there will be people who say they belong to Jesus but are really dead. And on the other hand, Jesus says those who bear fruit, those who have the life of Jesus bursting forth, God's going to prune. God is going to cut back for the purpose of bringing more of Jesus' life through you. So if you belong to Jesus, God's going to do some remodeling, which means he's going to knock down walls in your heart. He's going to tear back some cabinetry, and it hurts, and it's painful. But the purpose is to make the home more beautiful. 19th century Scottish author, poet, minister George MacDonald used this imagery to talk about life with God. And listen, I thought he put it so well. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and he's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But then he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor here, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. And he intends to come and live in it himself. If you're going through painful, hard things right now, or if you have in the past, or when you do in the future, our hope is to know and trust that God's at work. And he's taking hard things and he's turning them into good, and it's through suffering and pain that he enlarges our hearts and our souls so that he can dwell more richly with us and we with him. God does the work, but we're active to trust him to remodel us as he sees fit this invitation to abide or to make our home with Jesus, it is the central thing of all of life. It is the heart of the matter. Let me get a little bit practical here because I I think Jesus does in our text and and highlight two spiritual practices, ways we can be active to make our home with Jesus that he mentions. The first is the word of God. Jesus says in verse 3, You are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. God gives us the invitation to know him through his word, through the scriptures. And the word of God is what cleanses us the first time and leads us to believe. And it's what re-cleanses us over and over and over as we believe again and again. And the word of God has the power to remodel our hearts and our souls as the spirit of God illumines the scriptures. And he knocks down the walls of our hearts and he brings conviction and he enlarges our souls. And the word of God is the constant reminder his love never fails, and that he will never let us go. And as we trust what Jesus has done in the scriptures, we can relax and we can enjoy all the benefits that come from knowing him. The second spiritual practice that we see in our text is prayer. Let's look at verse 7. Jesus says, If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Prayer... Sometimes I think we can complicate it, but prayer, it's like conversation in a friendship or in a marriage. It cultivates intimacy in, in relationship. And prayer is integral to making your home with Jesus because the real point of prayer is not something but someone. The point of prayer is not to get what we want, but to experience deep relationship with Jesus. And I think in, in doing that, are whatevers, as the text says, actually become more sensible and aimed at the heart of God and his purpose, and then we do get whatever we want. Because the point of it all, the real heart of the matter, is to abide with Jesus. But hear this, any spiritual practice, the word of God, prayer, sacraments, solitude, seeking justice, you could name a host of, of things that are practices by which we can find our home with Jesus. If any of these things become boxes that we check off to feel better about ourselves or to earn God's love and approval, we will burn out and flame out or be self-righteous and judgmental. Because if we approach God this way, the central thing in our lives is not making our home with Jesus, but rather a veiled spirituality centered upon the self. Life with God, knowing God, must be the end of all of our spiritual practices. And so let me close by reminding you of a central gospel truth. It is because we belong to Jesus that we actively practice making our home with Jesus. We are not active in order to belong, but because we belong, we're moved to actively grow in our relationship with Christ. Some of you know who Blaise Pascal was, a 17th century A French mathematician and scientist, Pascal was a genius, even as a child, was a genius. And when he was 31, something life-altering happened to him. And we know this because eight years later, when he died an untimely death at the age of 39, a worn parchment was found sewn into his coat. And written on it was was this testimony. The year of grace, 1654, Monday, 23, November. From about half past 10 in the evening until about half past midnight, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and scholars, certainty, certainty, heartfelt joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God, the world forgotten and everything except God, joy, 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 tears of joy, the fountain of living waters, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, never let me be cut off from him. And he kept this parchment on himself for eight years, moving it from coat to coat so that it would literally be next to his heart wherever he went. Because Pascal knew that while he would be prone to forget God, his God would never forget him. And from the age of 31 to the age of 39, Pascal's life would change day by day in quite dramatic ways. Because it was belonging to God that he carried close to his heart. And it moved him to become more like Jesus. Christ we are not active in order to belong. In Jesus we belong and therefore we are active to abide and make our home with him. He is the true vine. He is the center of all things, the heart of the matter. And when we receive this invitation, we find that our hearts and our souls have found its true home in him. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would help us Lord, to experience, to experience life with you, abiding in you, a home with you, God, following you, relationship with you, it's not all doctrine, it's not just head knowledge, it's experience. We know these things through, we experience you through the word and in prayer, we experience it as you bring suffering and pain, as you give us safety and security, as you remind us of your love, and so God, I pray for every single person here, myself included, God, that you would, you would allow us to find life in you, that it would be the central thing, the real heart of the matter for every single one of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. amen.